The Video Insiders is the show that makes sense of all that is happening in the world of online video, as seen through the eyes of a second-generation Kodak nerd and a marketing guy who knows what iframes and macro blocks are. And here are your hosts, Mark Donegan and Dror Gill. Well, welcome back to The Video Insiders. I am here with my co-host, Dror Gill. Dror, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing uh, pretty well, uh, considering these challenging times that we're all into. We know we'll get over it, but it's going to be uh, quite a difficult uh, period for uh, all of the world in, in many different aspects, including uh, economy and, and industries, uh, even uh, including our industry, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Well, I, I'm really excited for our conversation today because I've been thinking about what's happening. Of course, we're still in the middle of this you know, terrible uh, crisis and situation, but I've been thinking, what, what's the world uh, going to look like post C-19? You know, what, what's going to change? And uh, I, I think some of it's real common. I think work from home is now a thing. So I think more and more people are going to be like, you know, why do I need to go into the office? And more companies are going to say, why do we need all these huge offices? But something else that I, I, I think could be a result is there's going to be efficiencies that we find um, in uh, in every area of life where right now we're learning to adapt. And there's certainly, you know, it, it, it's more of hardships, but I think there's going to be some efficiencies we're going to find. And you know, today we're talking to a company that is introducing some amazing efficiencies in live video production, uh, specifically for sports. And so, Dror, I, I think uh, we should introduce our guest and jump in. Yes, definitely. So uh, I'd like to welcome uh, to the Video Insiders, Gal Oz, who is co-founder and CTO of Pixelot. Hi, Gal. Hi, it's nice to be here. Thank you for the introduction. Yeah, welcome, Gal. Yeah, it's a pleasure hosting you. So uh, can you tell us a bit about uh, Pixelot? What are you doing? How, uh, how you came to be? So Pixelot is the world leading in uh, automated uh, sport production. We started seven years ago, uh, realizing that uh, capturing video is not uh, the same when you have uh, so many type of cameras and, and so many ways to capture. We call it quality and cheap pixels. And uh, we decided to go and capture sports in a different way instead of having a moving camera, capture the whole field and out of it generate a new application. I joined uh, Miki Tamir, Dr. Miki Tamir, and uh, together we started uh, this company. At the beginning, we were focusing more about more high-end uh, production, but uh, quite fast we realized that the real uh, value here is to create a fully automated production in a very low cost uh, hardware and, and low overall production cost. So uh, this is what we do for the last uh, six years, uh, developing products that give a solution to many levels of sport, which are anything other than the professional. So if today's professional sport in TV, not today, maybe two, two months ago, uh, where what you see on the TV were the professional sport, so this is only 1% of the, the sport that is being played in a regular uh, teams or regular uh, leagues. So we are uh, aiming to capture the, the other 99% that is not captured. And uh, we're already doing quite a good job and then covering uh, more than 100,000 sport production hours per month 
before we had these uh, issues with the sport. Yeah, sport is gone, but we're sure it's going to come back and it's going to come back uh, big. It's going to come and back big. big, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. And, and it will come back, uh, I think, even bigger because, as you mentioned before, people will somehow realize that uh, the sport, first of all, needs to be streamed. At the beginning, will start maybe people will not go, want to go to the... To the venues and and people will be scared and seeing that the sport organization will realize that capture the sports uh, is is the basic stuff and uh, we we already see people uh, ask about it yeah and we know that after this quarantine is going to end uh, there will be some limitations for a period after that and some of these limitations will be on the gathering of people more than 200 or 500 or 1,000. They're going to go uh, you know, back in the levels as they increased uh, the restrictions uh, going in. They're going to lift them gradually going out. And, and in those cases, you could still have a sports match, but the audience will be um, limited. Uh, so really streaming the game is, is important. And I understand that for uh, teams and leagues that uh, don't have the budget for a full-scale production and uh, hire uh, camera operators that move around, etc., you have a pretty low-cost uh, setup that they just install at the venue, and your software takes care of everything else, and uh, being the director and the editor and, uh, and making sure the end results uh, look uh, as a very professional sports production. Yeah, so as you mentioned, we do the capturing, the cameraman, the graphics, the contribution, the, the distribution. We have an OTT platform, we have a mobile application, so... Actually, we can give an end-to-end solution. It can be also uh, pushed into the partner or the broadcaster uh, channels. It can be a TV or their own uh, platform, OTT platform, but it can uh, be also a full uh, end-to-end solution. That's interesting. Do you have any examples of where, uh, you know, I'll say more professional productions, the big multi-cameras and all that kind of stuff, trucks in the parking lot and, you know, the big productions where they're um, supplementing with Pixelot maybe is just for different angles or like you say, OTT feed or I don't know, even in stadium, you know? No, our focus is really uh, to not to replace production and uh, high-end production and, and rarely it's to uh, uh, add to a current production. It's to create production where there is no production before. When you don't have enough of uh, audience or you don't have the, the commercial uh, environment that allow you to bring a cameraman, and this is where we, uh, we're stepping in. So we already uh, deliver content to uh, ESPN Plus in uh, some conferences in the U.S., we are uh, working with the big producer uh, in in, uh, in Europe. We, we deliver uh, uh, lower leagues in uh, Germany for soccer. We deliver first league in volleyball in Germany. In Mexico, we deliver all level of, of uh, soccer and, and many, many other. I think that uh, we have a few uh, instances, uh, for example, Formula One, but... Usually, it's not something that uh, is the ma- our main main business is to augment the the, the production, but uh, to really create an, uh, the, the actual actual feed. Enable new production where production was wasn't previously. So it's brilliant. 
You know, it's interesting to me how many times um, brilliant technology never makes it to market, not because there was some sort of failure in the technology or it didn't work or, you know, it wasn't needed, but, you know, a suitable use case was not identified. And uh, I just think it's so amazing how you've looked at this, you've brought together uh, AI, which of course is super hot right now. And, you know, all that's involved uh, in capture and uh, editing, but all powered by AI um, to provide this single camera, this single uh, fully automated solution, as you said, end to end. I'm wondering what other applications did you consider that your technology could be used for, or did you identify sports right out of the gate? Was that your plan? So we started with sport because both uh, Mickey and myself uh, had also a previous company that was uh, in the sport technology, and this is our more native environment, and, uh, and sport is one of the main uh, live uh, TV production uh, core. Saying that, we started in sport with a different product, with the more or less same technology, but aiming to really to replace higher level of production. And uh, it was a brilliant uh, product, but it was too expensive and it was too hard to get it in because it was head to head with the current production and the comparison was very hard. So people were like amazed from the product, but eventually didn't make the purchase. So. It took us, uh, I think, less than a year to understand that, that this way is not the right way to go. And, and uh, together we found the right uh, model and partners to go and, and to grow very fast in the automatic production. And, and we're focusing on developing a lower level of hardware that can, uh, and of course, a lower level, lower, lower cost that can answer those requirements. But... During the way, we did have some uh, also a uh, uh, look into other markets. So uh, we did uh, had some trials uh, to do some uh, live concerts. Uh, it's worked uh, very good, uh, but again, uh, the business model around it and the, and the scale wasn't there. Security is something that always come to us every few months. Someone come to us and ask us to to do security, we, we try to say no. And uh, so far we succeed because again, of focusing, I think focusing is very, very important. Uh, church in Africa, it's huge. Uh, there are other things, but what we learned is that, uh, first of all, the AI production is very specific to sports. And within the sport, it's very specific to a specific type of sport. So, we don't have the same AI for uh, soccer and for basketball and for uh, roller skates. And you can imagine that they're now doing a church production, which is huge. It's something completely else. And uh, even even bigger change is the business. Because going to sell to networks or selling to uh, leagues or selling to broadcasters is not the same as working with church. And, and the business eventually is the one that... Uh, uh, we are focused on and so far we are the sport although we are big it's only a small percentage of the potential so we don't see a, way, a reason to uh, move away yeah it makes sense definitely i i'm, I'm curious uh, can you tell us how you reduce cost in your original solution to what you have now was it just uh, going with 
uh, you know, smaller sensors and maybe not as sophisticated uh, lens systems and, you know, that sort of thing? Or what did you do? So uh, it's a, a combination of uh, three. One is uh, we changed the hardware. So in the beginning, uh, if we're talking about we had 12 cameras, each camera were like a very expensive CCD sensor with a Canon lens, a motorized Canon lens. It was a very expensive system. Uh, the new system were reduced to four camera with a fixed focal lens and, and, and much a CMOS sensor. So it was a, a lower cost. Together with it, we also changed the requirement. So uh, it's funny, but if we are looking now on the video that we deliver on, with the first system, it was like in the first year of the company, it's in some way looks better than what we have now. But of course, it costs 10 times of the hardware. And uh, the, the third thing is uh, also um, technology. I think uh, the cameras has a huge jump in technology, the CMOS sensor, become uh, as good or even better than the CCD sensor, but cost uh, one-fourth of what it used to be. And uh, the computer become much stronger. So we were able, in just uh, two years, we were able to reduce the cost dramatically just because also the technology would get better. So it was a combination of, of all these. Yeah, thank thank you, Apple, right? Uh, with with Sony, <laughs> I assume you're using Sony sensors. and <laughs> Sony sensor is, is amazing. They did such a big uh, jump and uh, yeah, definitely. So I'd like to take a step back and uh, you know understand more on the higher level what you're doing in terms of uh, your technology components. How is the system built? Um, and what does each component do in terms of capture, stitching, recognition, and all of that? And this will give us kind of um, uh, a better understanding of uh, how everything works. So it starts with the camera. So we have our own uh, unique camera module. It's built out of off-the-shelf cameras, uh, but we, uh, we build them together in such a way that we have a very, very strict control on on the angle between the cameras and the, and what they cover and uh, so when a client get a system it looks like a whole new camera it's like a big uh, coca-cola can and inside you have four cameras each take one fourth of the field you have uh, like a single box with four cameras and that's all you need to install in the venue for the capture exactly we put it in the camera on position so it might be uh, someplace, if it's a small venue, it might be attached to the wall. If it's a big venue, it will be in the same, more or less, camera one position. So it's on the side, capturing from, uh, depend on the model, but 175 degree. So it, you can put it uh, 10 meters away or even less from the field for a big soccer game, and you see all the whole soccer game all the time. Then they stream to a local workstation in a very in a without compression very high quality over there we have our main uh, unit which is the processing the local processing unit and over there this is our main ip and, and the main uh, what we do is the software there and this uh, first of all we we have a very precise calibration process so we know exactly to to match the cameras to each other and to the world and the second process is uh, stitching. So we can stitch them in a seamless way. So basically, 
I like to call it a super camera. So if each camera it's a, a 5K, something like this, we stitch it together to generate a, a super, one super camera. And uh, out of this super camera, we, we push this into the AI, AI uh, mechanism, AI brain. And this AI brain is very, very specific to the game, following the ball, following the players, following specific game conditions. So if it's a soccer and there is now a corner, we know to identify this is a corner because corner have a specific need for production. And then based on these uh, inputs, we generate an instruction per frame. So for each frame, we say, okay, this is the ROI I want to generate in the most in the high quality. This is the HD, high, HD output. And then we go back to the raw data and uh, we render again only the HD output that uh, is going to be uh, delivered as the distribution uh, channel. So the HD output, the region of interest is an HD frame taken out of your, uh, what's the total resolution that you have? We have around 8K in total uh, width, uh, around between 8 to 10,000 uh, pixels width, and uh, 2,500 to 3,300 uh, pixel height. Mm -hmm. So out of this 8K image, the output of your algorithm is uh, which, what are the coordinates of the HD frame that you are going to take out of that image? So it's actually a crop of, uh, of uh, the full image, right? No, it's not a crop. Then... Then we render it again and, and in, a in a more precise, in a high quality uh, method in order to create the, the most quality frame out of the raw data. Mm -hmm. Because you have pixels of that frame from coming in from different cameras. Yeah, and part of it is teaching, of course, because every frame can be either from one camera or, or out of three or four cameras, depending what is the zoom level I'm in. Uh, so if I'm now zoom out and see all the field, basically I'm stitching four cameras together. Uh, and we have uh, all this happen either 30 frames per second, 60 frames per second, depending on the system. Uh, so you can imagine it needs to be very uh, uh, fast. Uh, and because you also you want to be to run it on a, on a low-cost uh, hardware, it needs to be very efficient. And... Uh, Part of our, our uh, IP is, is doing it in, in a live and efficient way. And you're also controlling the cameras in real time, telling them how to pan and zoom, each one of them? No, no, no. Nothing is moving. I mean, if you want to put, we put our, we install, the, the whole idea is that you install the camera one time and then you use it for five years without touching it. Maybe once a year you, you, you clean the lens. Nothing is moving, nothing is, nothing, there is no movement. So that's why this system can last five years. No moving parts, just virtually movement of the, of the ROI that give you the same feeling of a moving camera, but nothing actually is moving. Now, out of it, you get another benefit that we see everything. So we see also things that didn't happen where, where around the ball and didn't, wasn't captured in real time, but we still see them. So we can go back and, and show you other area that uh, wasn't captured in real time. I'm really curious, uh, and, and so I wanna um, jump forward and have you tell us about uh, the convolution, the neural net that you developed, um, because I'm, I'm curious, and, and I hope you can tell us how much customization and, and what it takes to 
Um, uh, you know, I'm thinking like a cricket match is so different from a soccer match or, you know, in Europe, other parts of the world, football, um, you know, and that's different from uh, tennis and different from basketball. And, you know, we can, you know, go through all the sports. So can you, uh, first of all, tell us about the convolution neural network, uh, the algorithms that you developed for the image recognition, because this is remarkable. I was just blown away when I saw your uh, demo videos and to see how it's tracking the players and the movement of the ball. And it's like there's a real human operator there. It was just amazing. So what went into developing that and training the algorithms for each of the sports? Yeah, first of all, regarding your lessons, and so so it's funny because eventually when we're producing a game and we have a, it's streamed, so what we want people to talk is about the game and not about the production. Because then then if nobody noticed anything special, then we did a good job. And uh, regarding the, the neural network, as you said, it's really specific. So we always start with something basic. So when we have a new sport, usually we run it through some of the other sports. And, and measuring which one is giving the most, uh, the best results. And we start from there. And then we make a, like a training for this specific sport, which is a start with a manual tagging, but then soon after it will become a, a supervised or semi-supervised learning that, that uh, the system uh, does it work and we just correct it when, when it's uh, doing a mistake. Um, and the networks are really very specific. So we have network for player, for ball, for a reading jersey number, for finding when the in basketball player jump. And, and there are quite a few of them in order to, to be able to understand what happened in the field in the most precise way. We are not doing just production, we're also doing data. And that's why we, we know, for example, in basketball, not only that the world was a basketball, a made basket, we can also understand who made it. And we're trying to add more and more data points that are automatic. And uh, this is help the production, but also help to generate some uh, personal features and things like that. I notice you have a coaching module, and so that seems super powerful. I mean, if I'm a coach, even in a professional team, wouldn't I want a Pixelot system, you know, during practice? Definitely. And this is why uh, we installed in all major uh, so big, biggest soccer. We, we are in, in Barcelona, Real Madrid, uh, Bayern Munich. Uh, they all use it for the coaching. So it's completely different use case. They are not broadcasting it, but uh, they are using it, first of all, as a camera with an AI that capture a different uh, view from the TV. So if a TV cameraman or a TV uh, AI will focus around the ball and a little bit wider, like camera one, the coach won 20, 22 players. So it's a different uh, view. We generate this view for the player. But the nice thing is that because we capture everything and we save it to the disc, the coach or the video analyst can go back after the game or after the training and create whatever live footage he, he, he wants. So if now he wants to look on the, on the goalkeeper the whole game, we can produce it after the, after the game. So it's like a time machine and a camera. Mm. So they use it uh, in real matches uh, to analyze afterwards what happened in the real match and they also use it in, in training. Exactly. So in training you can have 
training of the goalkeeper on one side and training of, of, of uh, others in the other side. And then with one system, we can create multiply output that uh, show you different type of the field uh, that happened at the same time. This is something, of course, you cannot get with a normal camera. Of course. And, and this analysis phase, uh, asking to focus on, on the goalkeeper or somebody else, is this a tool that you provide um, for like kind of offline software? Or is this something in the cloud? Or is this a service that somebody from your company has to do it for the customer? It says, uh, first of all, it's all by the hand of the customer. Uh, he can do it uh, during the training. So you can say, okay, now focus on the right, now focus on the left. And this will provide uh, the live feed and, and the recording, of course. And they also have a tools called Clipper that after the game, he can open it and create whatever clipping he wants from the whole field. So he has uh, all these options in his hand. And this is what the, the video analysis from the big teams are doing uh, on a daily basis. Wow, that, that's really amazing. I mean, having such a tool at your disposal, if you're a coach, being able to follow everything and go back in time and uh, analyze stuff. I think that's, uh, that's really amazing. Um, and, and the whole system you built, I mean, on one hand, uh, you built a, a software system, you built AI algorithms, uh, which are very sophisticated. And that's uh, kind of, a, you know, pure software development. But on the other hand, uh, you have uh, um, a real uh, hardware system. You have a physical system that you need to install in the venue and uh, make sure that it works under different uh, conditions, you know, weather, rain, you know, things like that. So uh, how much of, uh, of the company is focused on building the actual hardware and uh, making sure that it, uh, it works in the field and maintaining it versus developing those um, uh, algorithms that are eventually implemented in software? So I believe it's around 90 to 10, 90% software and 10% hardware. We don't uh, develop in camera, we, we just uh, have our own uh, enclosure for the camera. Uh, but we do have uh, also uh, to deal with the hardware. Uh, sometimes, uh, and as I said, in different uh, conditions, uh, sometimes we have a condensation issue because uh, someone installed it in ice hockey and then we had to solve it. Uh, so so our hardware issues are part of our life. But uh, most of the development uh, we do is in the software side. Uh, I, I mentioned only the, the venue side, but we do also have a very rich cloud side that give you all the scheduling, uh, OTT platform, uh, monitoring, uh, version update, uh, many, many tools that uh, give you uh, a control on, on, on thousand systems that are installed all over the world. Uh, at the end, in order to... Uh, operate and produce 100,000 hours per month you need with a team of uh, I don't know seven people in in support uh, you need a very strong backend that can uh, manage everything mostly automatically and from time to time also uh, give a human intervention is, is it remote support I mean it's self-installation you you don't go to the venues uh, uh, yourself or you don't have uh, um, companies that do the installation our business is working with partners uh, around the world. Uh, they are doing the local uh, managing of the business and the operation. So they are doing the support, uh, or especially the installation. 
So you need to go because this installation is not very complicated, but you need to do it. For example, in, in most of the high schools in the U.S., we have a few thousand high schools that working with our system. They install themselves their, the system, so we just send instruction and their IT people install it. So it's not that complicated. And uh, the support can be all been remotely, as long as you don't need to move it physically. But we have uh, all the ability to do it remotely. Most of it is automatically. I, I was just wondering what your business model is. So I buy the camera. Is there then a monthly service fee for distribution? Um, how, how does that look? The basic model is uh, you buy the hardware and then you, uh, use, you pay a monthly fee for the usage. And there is different level of packages according to how many games you want to produce with it. And you have a, an option to list the hardware if you if you want, but uh, at the end it's uh, the, the main cons, the main models. On top of it, you have a different uh, extra. Like if you want OTT, you pay more. If you want to play your own application, you pay more. Uh, you have some uh, upsells on top of it, uh, but the the basic model is a, a monthly fee, and uh, we usually not selling system to individual. As we said before, we work with partners that have a potential and access to uh, from tens to thousands of uh, systems or venues. It can be a, an OTT channel uh, that uh, connected with a local league and want to produce it. It can be, as I said, in the US, it's the NFHS. It's, the, it's a network of all the high schools in the US. So it's a network of 20,000 high schools. Each has two or three venues, so you can imagine what is the scale of such a, a partner. And when you're doing the streaming, it's coming from your servers or the customer is responsible for distributing uh, the video uh, to the end users? The customer always only in charge to prov provide power and internet, but uh, we are doing the server, uh, the cloud the server, and we use uh, reliable UDP technology, we use Zixi, to, to stream it because uh, not like a, a high-end production, our uh, endpoints are really usually really poor. And uh, you can have, uh, in Germany, which we are expected to have a very good internet, we find out that our partners using a LTE modems for broadcast the game. Sometimes it worked great. It worked great before the game, but then 2,000 people came to the game and it dropped dramatically. So, so we managed to, to maintain live feed, whatever happened, uh, even if it's dropped down to, I don't know, less than one mega upload. Uh, we still main, maintain a live, live feed. Of course, not the same quality when you have three or four megabit per second upload. Uh, and on top of it, on top of it, we record a high uh, level of uh, high quality of production for the VOD, so when the game ends, we automatically replace it with a local production to give a higher uh, quality for the VOD experience and the highlight experience. Mm -hmm. So that's the uplink, the contribution um, is, is done by you, and then the distribution to end users, the streaming, creating the ABR uh, layers and packaging and all of that. Uh, who is handling that part? So this is uh, really partner-dependent. We can give it. We have uh, our own OTT, we have our own app, uh, so this is an option. Some of our partners stream to uh, YouTube, Facebook, we have this as an option. And uh, some of our partners have their own platform. So if uh, we're talking about ESPN+, Plus, of course, they don't use our platform to stream. 
they have their own platform, but uh, and some some have more uh, modest uh, modest uh, environment, but still uh, use their own environment. And what codec do you use on on the uplink? Trying to fit, you know, HD video into one megabit is quite a challenge. Yeah, um, we use H.264, and there is a good reason for that. I can explain because you know it's not the the most advanced one. In our model, we collect a uh, cent to cent because we need to make sure the production is low. And uh, in high school, for example, when you're talking about huge uh, amount of games and the cost per game need to be very low, we, we need to make sure that we keep the, the cost down. And because the contribution, this distribution uh, need to be H264 because you cannot now account on everyone to have a device that read H265, and uh, we don't now we, we don't want to transcode everything we we already stream it from the venue in uh, 264 and then in the cloud we just build uh, the additional layers for multi-rate but the main layer is just transparent and we stream it so this is the reason we stay with 264 and we don't add in the 265 just because of uh, cost uh, in the cloud can you give us some idea? I mean, I understand costs are kind of variable, but ballpark, like how much does the camera cost? And then, uh, you know, for, I, I don't know, a, a school or, or a team that has, uh, let's just call it a middle number of games. Like, like what are the costs? So I think the, the basic, uh, the, we call it the show, pixel dot show is the, the, the scale model. Uh, will cost uh, you a few thousand dollars for the hardware. And uh, around two fifty dollars, two hundred fifty dollars uh, monthly for the usage, and it depends on 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 the amount of uh, system you have. And uh, yeah, I didn't mention it include also also graphic inside. It's including uh, many of the sports uh, highlight automatic highlight generation, VOD live. Everything is including including our use, usage of our app. So you're saying the Pixelot S, which is the camera, right? Um, so that's a couple thousand dollars. And then um, if I'm a high school and, uh, you know, I've got it uh, during basketball, I mean, you know, it's hanging in the gym, of course. So I guess, you know, I'd use it for volleyball season and, and basketball. Um, so I don't know. High school, there's one basketball game a week. There's one, maybe two volleyball games a week, if that much, right? So... That would be like $200, $250 a month? No. First of all, the number of events is amazing because we see that high schools, that before, I had a, before they have our system, they, they, they produce their own, their own games, which means that they took students and they asked them a favor to, to capture the game. So what happened is that uh, before they had Pixelo, they were producing 20 to 30 games a season. Uh, when they have Pixelo, they're producing 20 to 30 games a month. Because now, uh, producing a game is as easy as Outlook appointment. You're saying tomorrow, between 4 to 6, I have a basketball game, and this is a Team A versus Team B. Submit, and that's all. You don't have any worries now. And what happened is that, why not capturing also the, the kids, uh, junior, and why not ca- capturing also the, the old the oil kind of sport? So, so you find out that suddenly... They produce 20, 30 games a month, and uh, also now the parents, and, and you have more uh, uh, audience, and the level of the sports is, is rising because you have more uh, 
people watching it. So, so it's quite amazing what he's doing to the sports. Little League, you're doing Little League? Little League, you mean baseball? Yeah. It's a project now we're working on. That's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> That's very big. Yeah. I mean, everything you touch in the, in the especially in the U.S. Uh, sports is a big deal. Yeah. It's quite amazing. Yeah, they're f- fanatic about sports. <laughs> we're, we're, we're fanatics. <laughs> For sure. Wow. wow. By the way, I, I, I love the name uh, Pixelot. It's like Pixel yeah. and, uh, and, and Camelot? Or Camelot. What's... It's Pixelot, Pixels and a lot. Okay, a lot ah, of pixels. A lot of pixels, okay. And also a pixel lot, like uh, the garage of pixels. So, uh, ah. yeah, and, and it sounds, uh, sounds like in the same, you know, Camelot is also in the neighborhood there, but uh, the main two is a pixel and a lot, a lot of pixels. Now let's talk about the future. You're doing so much, you know, you said 100,000 uh, uh, hours every month. That's uh, so many events and, and going into, um, you know, training and practices and all different kinds of sports. Um, and we also talked a bit in the beginning about other applications that you're trying to uh, kind of uh, move away from or, or, or kick away when they come to you because you want to focus. And that's very understandable. But uh, how do you see the future of uh, Pixelot? What kind of um, uh, fields or markets you plan to uh, expand in the near future? Or what kind of new products do you plan? So first of all, we are staying in the sports. I mean, we, we don't have any plans to go away from sports. We see it as a huge potential. And we, every, everywhere we look, we see that we're only covering a very narrow portion of this uh, market. So when we're talking about the show system, we realize that this is a, has a huge uh, market. But when we look up and down, there are other markets that, that the show is not good enough for. And this is when we look up. And when we look down, you see a huge potential where the show is already too expensive and too ex- complicated to install. And these are the two main focusing on Pixelot. So we are uh, having a, a product that we launched uh, late last year. It's called Pixelot Prime. This is a product that is aiming to broadcaster. This is what we stream in ESPN Plus and other places. And this is a more broadcast level. It has an SDI output in the full frame rate. And uh, the quality is amazing and uh, I mean, when you see this, it looks like a F- HD TV that uh, you can compare it to a normal production. Not with all the angles and the slow-mo and everything, but the, the production itself is it's great. And we're also adding uh, other angles to this, so you can have a, an, an ability to add a director. Uh, so you can have a really multi-camera solution with a one-man show that is even sitting remotely. So this is a one way of of one product, the Pixelot Prime, that uh, it's quite successful and uh, we're already selling it uh, nicely. And this is when we're going up. When we're going down, we are uh, uh, looking after uh, the youth market, which is huge in the US and, and other places. And over there, we are uh, developing, I cannot elaborate a lot, but we are uh, developing a few products that will be used in this market. And the scale over there is much bigger. We're talking about every household in the U.S., I think, has uh, with the right uh, kids with the right age are, uh, are around the sports and doing sports. And, and over there, it's a huge potential that we are now uh, heavily investing in. 
is this like a, a portable solution? Because I can imagine, uh, you know, for a lot of youth sports, it's not possible to have something permanently installed and maybe a parent would want to own it, um, because the team can't afford to, but you know, there's a parent that says, Hey, you know, a thousand dollars or $800 or something. It's portable. It runs on a battery or $150. Oh, $150. Boy, that everyone everyone alone own own one then, but yeah, maybe you just turn it into an iPhone app. Uh, maybe, maybe uh, the idea is to give to answer the needs of really the parents, the small clubs, uh, so you can uh, see your own kids play. The coach of can can sit together with the kids and and, and go over the video. Uh, this is the the idea and the product are already now in a different level of it's a bunch of product that are all given a solution for all sports and, and all level of uh, youth sports and uh, we find out as I said that when we look there are so many levels of uh, sports that each one has its own unique solution and uh, we plan to to be the leaders in video of sports in all aspects of uh, from the from the most uh, youth sports And the small one to the professional one uh, excluding the the very professional so we are not uh, aiming to replace a uh, NBA or or, or, a, or a first league production of uh, soccer we or, uh, we don't looking for this but anything else this is where we are looking for together with this we also working on complement uh, solution that that involve data and involve the uh, betting industry involves things like that, that that give a more wider solution to the all the needs of of a sport around the video I was gonna ask about your data you said that you're gathering so much more than just uh, picture data uh, you know and if uh, when we were talking about the algorithms you're mentioning that you have you know like jumping algorithms and you know different player motions that you can very accurately detect so you Are you like in your coaching product or for some of your future products uh, is there a data product that uh, somebody could access where you can begin to provide some amazing analytics at the player level to scouts and obviously coaches and 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 fans you know as well who would love to access some of this is that possible or is it being planned or yeah so definitely it's possible and, and in the Again, it's sport by sport, but in some sport we already have a really deep uh, research and even product in this direction. In other sports, we join other teams that are specialized on this and, and give a, a joint product. Uh, we don't believe that uh, we should invent the whole industry. We, there are people that are leading in, in some other uh, technologies and we can use their knowledge and to go together to the market. Uh, so but definitely you see around the world that video and data goes going together and this is uh, what we try to do either ourselves or join forces with other t- other companies that, that's very smart because there are companies doing sports analytics and and you're focusing on automated uh, video production for sports so partnering really makes a lot of sense uh, one more question I had you mentioned the slow-mo um, And um, when talking about the more professional productions, um, is this something that the, the system does automatically, like replays and slow motions and things like that? Today, we still don't do it, but it's just a matter of priorities because uh, 
we, in real time, we capture a highlight of the game. So if you take a basketball game, during the game, we know exactly when we had the basket. So now uh, going back and, and just uh, prepare replays with slow motion, it's just a matter of uh, doing it. And, and it's something that will happen, uh, I guess, soon. I, I'm super impressed, you know, with what you guys have built. Um, it's an ad- addressing an amazing market and uh, there's a need for it. And of course, the technology, which, you know, we're technologists and our, our listeners of this podcast are primarily engineers, technologists. So I think everybody uh, listening and certainly Dror and myself are, are uh, probably uh, really blown away. Yeah, it's amazing technology, but we all know that technology is not enough. So taking this technology and building it into a product and making all the engineering decisions uh, about uh, what components to use, what software, what codecs, what hardware, which lenses uh, that will fit in a certain price point for specific markets and segmenting the market. I think that's, that's where you know, the real brilliance is, is here. Uh, not only technology, but product, building the right product for the right market segment. And as Gal, as you said, uh, looking a bit up, looking a bit down, expanding and expanding the business. Very impressive. Let me add one because you talk about technology. I think that uh, Pixel.now is in the growth stage. Okay, we are, we are not a startup company that just uh, introduced to the market. And uh, in this phase, uh, it's true that the, the product is very important. But I think the, the the support and the atmosphere and the way to to give your uh, your partners slash client uh, a way to feel safe is sometimes is even more important than the technology. And and this is something that we need to understand that uh, the th- technology is good until certain level. But at the end, we are people that talk with people and we need to give the right support, the right attitudes, because you, have, you always have issues and, and, and it sounds great, but you know, you have bug, you have catastrophic, you have a crisis and the way you handle them, this is a major part of where you're going to be, not only the technology. Exactly, exactly. And, and people talk a lot about uh, customer success, making it your goal that the customer will succeed in having a customer-focused a company, and in your case, not only customers, but also partners who work together with you on uh, the distribution, the installation, um, additional components, etc. So, uh, yeah, that's that's very important, and I think it's also a very important tip uh, to our listeners on what they should uh, focus on when building a company, building a technology, and eventually making a product that uh, people would like to buy. And of course, uh, in masses, because we all want to have a great business. So uh, thank you very much, Gal. This has been a fascinating conversation. And uh, we thank you for bringing this uh, to the Video Insiders. Um, and thank you again for being on the show. Yes, thank you for coming on, Gal. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you for listening to the Video Insiders podcast. If you'd like to appear on the show, just send an email to thevideoinsiders at beamer.com. That's B-E-A-M-R.com with a brief description on what you're working on and why you think it's interesting for our audience. This podcast is sponsored by Beamer Imaging. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity that they represent.